Hello, and welcome to Let's Get Sexy, the podcast where I read an erotic story and you listen to it. In this episode, number four of series six, we're going to be tackling chapter four of Undercover Stripper, a story written by UK underscore writer underscore 53 for the website literotica.com. As always, I haven't read this chapter ahead of time, don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you what's happened up until this point. In a brief recap, in chapter three, Jess got herself an interview for the position of stripper at Sin City Strip Club, and after going to the shops to buy some new stripper outfits and putting on a little practice show for her husband Tom, she managed to impress the boss, Victor Markov, and get herself a full-time job there as a stripper. Well, I say full-time job, she is in fact self-employed. Both Tom and Jessica found her new line of employment very sexy, and so when Tom got home from his shift as a security guard at Sin City, the couple had sex. Later in the week, Jess had her first actual shift at the strip club, She managed to impress Victor Markov, foster a budding rival with fellow stripper Tracy, and earn herself £350, all while just about maintaining their cover story. Coincidentally, Tom and Jess's shifts finished at the same time, the end of the night, which I don't know how much of a coincidence that really is. And at the end of chapter three, we left them heading home, excited after a successful night's work. And I'm pretty sure that chapter four is going to pick up exactly where we left off. Quick word on the statistics. Chapter 4 of Undercover Stripper has 8.3 thousand words. It's got a 4.72 star rating, which means it is a story labelled H for hot. It's had 10.8 thousand views, 20 likes, and there are 8 comments. And we will take a look at those at the end. For now though, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Reveal all except the truth Undercover Stripper Take off your clothes and move your body to distract the eye Nobody knows that underneath you're an undercover spy Repeat all except the truth Undercover stripper Never tell them Despite the late hour, the moment they were through the door, Jessica threw herself into her husband's arms, her mouth finding his as she kissed him passionately. Her first night as a stripper at Sin City had left her wet and teetering on the edge for most of the evening, and now she was home, she wanted her husband. I need you inside me this instant, she demanded urgently, her fingers fumbling at his clothing, grabbing the bottom of his t-shirt and pulling it up over his head. Still kissing, they stumbled through the flat towards the bedroom, leaving a trail of clothes behind them his t-shirt, her top, their shoes, his jeans, her bra, and then her jeans. Finally, Tom dragged down her panties, the last thing she was wearing, as he laid her back on the bed. When he peeled the tiny thong over her feet, Jessica opened her legs wide to show him how juicy she was, her hairless pink slit glistening with female arousal. Hurry, baby, please, I need you, Jess whimpered demandingly, her eyes glued to his. 
his cock was as hard as he could ever remember it being, the image of his wife on stage displaying her charms and sitting naked on another man's lap being openly fondled were burned into his brain forever. There was little interest in foreplay for either of them. The evening at the strip club had been more than enough to arouse a carnal need in both of them. So, as he lowered his body onto Jessica's, her hand reached for his prick, guiding the head of his shaft straight into her eager pussy. Ah, yes. Jess groaned with delight when her husband slid his iron-hard length all the way into her wet crevice in a single hard thrust. Arching her back up off the bed to meet him, her nether lips peeled around his manhood, softly swallowing his erection and drawing it into her slick vaginal tunnel. From the moment he entered her, she knew neither of them would last very long. The build-up from her first night at the club had left them both in an emotional state that would only be satisfied by hard sex. Tom began to ferociously drive his rampant cock into her, their hips mashing together with every stroke he made. Beneath him, Jessica squirmed, moaning with pleasure, her hands grasping his backside and pulling him deeper. Fuck me. Just fuck me. Don't stop. Please, don't stop. Her desperate cries encouraging him to piston his length more firmly between her puffy, moist labia. Pressing her back into the bed, Tom fucked her as vigorously as he could. The sound of the bed springs creaking under them, mixing with her frantic moans, filled the air around them as they both raced towards a mutual climax. Yes, oh yes, yes, fuck me, fuck me. Bucking under him, Jessica clenched her vaginal muscles around his hard shaft, feeling it pulse as it rasped against the velvet-soft, sensitive walls of her pussy. Oh, Jess, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Slamming into her, Tom knew he couldn't hold back very much longer. Her plump lips encircled his girth, folding in around the base of his dick when he drove it into her, cushioning every stroke he made, making the act of fucking even more pleasurable for him. His ass rose and fell between her splayed thighs as he started to lose control, his thrusts becoming harder and deeper as he sought his zenith while driving her towards her own. Oh, yes, yes, Tom, I'm gonna... come! The last word came out as a shriek, Jessica coming hard and shuddering violently when the mounting waves of orgasmic bliss overwhelmed her senses. Ah, oh, Jess, um, ah. Tom thrust into her one final time, throwing his head back and sheathing his cock deep inside her slit as he started to spurt his cum into her womb. Panting breathlessly, he jerked again and again, pumping his copious load deep up inside his wife. Totally satisfied, they collapsed together on the bed, his lips finding hers in a long, deep, loving kiss, their breath gradually returning to normal before Tom rolled off his wife and lay staring up at the ceiling. You okay? Jess turned onto her side, pushing herself up onto her elbow to look at him with concern. I guess so, he sighed, continuing to stare at nothing. You're thinking about Markov fucking me, aren't you? It was almost as if she'd read his mind. If you're that turned on by stripping, he'll be getting all the benefit and the fuck of his life, he stated miserably. We've always known that there was a possibility I'd like the sex. Is that so bad? I don't want to screw him, but if I have to fuck anyone, then I might as well enjoy it, Jessica replied frankly. He turned to look at his wife, and she felt her heart miss a beat as she saw the look in his eyes. I suppose so. The idea of him screwing you really turns me on, but then, just sometimes, it worries me as well. It's not going anywhere. I don't care if they give me the greatest sex ever. I love you. You have to remember that. Whatever happens. She kissed him gently on the lips. You just have to. But... No buts or ifs. I love you. Do you understand that, Tom? He nodded disconsolately. It's just that sometimes I want to keep you all to myself as well. Jessica leant across and kissed him again. My heart will always be yours. And yours alone, baby. 
They cuddled up together, still talking about what might happen and how they felt about it until they finally fell asleep in the early hours of the morning. Sleeping in until just before eleven on the Sunday, Tom was the first up, leaving Jess asleep as he went to make coffee after a brief detour to the bathroom. Could I have one? He was standing in the kitchen when her voice behind him made him turn around. His wife was standing in the doorway, looking tousled and incredibly sexy in just a baggy t-shirt and white panties. Tom smiled and poured her a cup as she requested, putting them both on the table for them. Their day was spent, as all Sundays should be, relaxing and catching up on the things that needed doing around the flat, while trying to avoid discussing anything to do with the club. They managed it fairly well, avoiding the topic until later that evening. How are you feeling now? You didn't seem too keen on some of the aspects of our plan last night, Jess asked him as the two of them sat down to eat dinner. Right now the idea of Markov fucking you is making me horny as hell, Tom confessed somewhat sheepishly as he fiddled with his cutlery. But I can't help being jealous and hoping I don't lose you. Jess reached across and squeezed his hand. She was as worried as her husband that whatever might happen at the club would break up their marriage. Look, maybe it won't happen. Maybe I'll play it cool for my next couple of shifts and just keep him interested, but avoid doing it if I possibly can. Her suggestion raised his spirits a little. Somehow, I don't think that's going to get us the information we need, but it makes sense to try. Still conflicted, he resignedly agreed to her revised plan. I'll tell you as many times as I have to until I convince you. It would just be sex, nothing else. It's you I love. She gave her husband a long, meaningful look. I know. I want to see it happen. I want to watch you come on another man's cock, but it scares me as well. His stomach churned as he said it. What if you... I won't, Jess interrupted, taking his hand as she smiled. And yes, it scares me too, the idea of another man making me come, letting him enjoy what's yours. But we have to be honest with each other. They continued talking into the evening after they'd eaten, and until they were ready for bed without finding any resolution to their questions and concerns. Monday morning, the pair returned to their investigation, Jessica spending her time on the internet researching anything she could find on Deluxe Entertainment and Myriad Enterprises, while her husband had a couple of visits to make to follow up on other aspects. Initially, Tom dropped into the police station, just to make George Freeman aware of where he'd got to with his inquiries, and to let him know that he was now working there undercover. Of course, he didn't mention Jessica's part in any of this. That he kept strictly to himself. How's it going, Sarge? Lisa Williams caught up with him just as he was leaving the office. Hi, Lise. Yeah, it's going okay, thanks, he responded amiably. How's things in here? So-so. You know how it is. She gave him her usual infectious grin. Got time for a coffee? Yeah, I know, he said, grinning back at her as he checked his watch. I think I could manage that, if you're buying. Sure, she said, rolling her eyes as she took his arm and guided him out of the door towards the cafe across the street. As he sat down, he gazed across at Lisa standing at the counter, admiring her pert backside, constrained by her tight jeans, wondering why she wasn't with anyone. She was certainly pretty enough. Petty for them, she chuckled as she returned with their drinks, jerking him back from his reflections. Sorry, just thinking. Do you know anything about a guy called Gregor Markov? Name rings a bell, Lisa frowned. Have you checked on the system? He nodded. Yeah, there's no record of anything. Wait, now I remember. It was a couple of years back, I think. Wasn't he one of the subjects in that protection racket business we looked into? Suggested Lisa. Was he? I wasn't in that one. Gazing back across at her, he could smell her perfume. I'll look it up when we get back. For the next few minutes they sat and chatted, 
Once again, Tom thought that he could have really been interested in her if it hadn't been for the fact that he loved his wife. Finishing their coffee, they made their way back to the station and Lisa got to work on her computer. Got it. There, see? Pointing to a footnote on one of the case files with her red painted nail, she showed him. Leaning over her to get a better look, he was aware of her scent and found himself pushing immoral thoughts about his work colleague out of his mind. Nothing proven, but he was a nasty piece of work by all accounts. Why do you want to know about him? She said, looking up at him, licking her lips, her mouth just inches from his. Nothing, really. I just came across him the other day, that's all. He coughed and stood up, squeezing her shoulder as a thanks, and left before there were many more questions, or he did something he knew he would regret. He also paid a visit to see his best mate, Rob Greenwood, in the planning department at the local council offices, just to check on any other businesses, particularly bars, that had changed hands recently. It turned out there were three, all now owned by Deluxe Entertainment and fronted by James O'Connell. All three were licensed to Danny Brooks. With Gregor Markov, that gave him three sides of a triangle. What he now needed was the man in the centre, the man in charge. There had to be someone that linked them all, and the big question was who. There wasn't much else he could do, so he decided to head home, stopping briefly at the Red Lion to see if Sarah was behind the bar. She was busy, so he stood and waited. Hi, Tom. Smiling broadly, she greeted the detective as she wandered across to serve him. What can I get for you? Nothing today, thanks, Sarah. I just wanted to ask you a question. Oh, okay then. Fire away. She leant on the bar. Do you say you worked at Sin City? For Gregor Markov? He asked her directly. She looked nervously around to make sure they were out of earshot of anyone. That's right. I was stripping there when he became the manager. This was news to him, and he decided to press her. So, why did you leave? Her face fell. She was obviously frightened to be seen talking to a policeman. Eh? Oh... Well, he wanted me to go on the game, she stammered quietly. He's using some of the girls there as prostitutes, running his own private operation that the boss doesn't know about. Do you know who the top boss is? Shaking her head, she looked around again. No, he never showed up at the club when I were there. He thanked her and left the pub, heading back home with more than a few things to think about. Hi, babe, I'm back, he called out from the door, announcing his arrival. Jess's voice floated back. I'm in the kitchen. She was still sitting at the table, her laptop open in front of her, with several sheets of handwritten notes strewn about. Any luck? Tom asked, standing in the doorway, looking inquiringly at her. She shook her head, sending her long blonde hair swaying around her shoulders. Not a lot. I've confirmed all that we know so far, but I've got no further. How about you? He filled her in on the small amount of new knowledge he had, the three bars that were now owned by Deluxe, the name Danny Brooks, and of course, the suspicions around Gregor Markov that Lisa had told him about. You went to see Lisa? Jess raised an eyebrow questioningly. Yeah? Why? Tom asked. Because that girl has got the hots for you, so be careful. Tom laughed. <laughs> I don't think so. Trust me, she does. I'm a woman, and I know the signs. Ignoring her comment, he returned to telling her about the information he'd gleaned from Sarah, and the fact that Markov was running a sideline that his bosses didn't know about. Maybe we have a way in then, she said thoughtfully, after a moment. If I can convince him that I want to earn more money, he might try to recruit me. You need to be careful, Jess. His voice sounded grim as he warned her. This isn't some sort of game. I will, I promise, she said, standing up and kissing her husband. Now, let's have some lunch. 
After they'd eaten, they spent the remainder of the afternoon fruitlessly scouring the internet for more information, before giving up just after six in the evening. They were both back in the club the following afternoon, so Jessica made sure her bag was packed with her costumes, and then they retired for a reasonably early night. Even though the shift didn't officially begin until midday, they still found it a rush to get out of the flat and to the club ahead of opening time, but somehow they made it. Arriving independently of each other, they were both inside by 11.30. Even by Tuesday standards, it was quiet. Jessica was first up for the half-dozen customers that had drifted in, and just went topless for her first stage appearance. Putting her top back on, she sat at the bar once she was done, waiting, like the other girls, for a few more customers to put in an appearance. By the time she was back on stage 45 minutes later, business had picked up a little, with a few punters seated on the stools around the edge of the platform. This time, Jess was in a purple bra and panties with knee-high boots as she stepped up to the platform. She was completely naked by the end of the second tune, and getting her first £10 tip of the day, she laid back with her legs spread wide in front of the customer. Two more also tipped her, and she obliged them both with a long, lingering close-up of her most intimate parts. A lap dance followed soon after, and Tom sneaked back to watch again as she quickly stripped naked, and then spent the rest of the time on her client's lap, having her breasts fondled. It was part way through the afternoon when Markov eventually appeared in the club, with another, foreign-looking man, in a suit, and they made a beeline for Jessica seated at the bar. They spoke for a couple of minutes before she nodded and slid off her stool to accompany them in the VIP room. Suspicious of their intentions, he waited a minute or so, before discreetly making his way onto the walkway to watch. Trailing behind Markov and his guest, Jess realised this was going to be a situation she might struggle to control when he told the bouncer not to admit anyone else for 15 minutes. "'Get dancing for my friend, Sapphire,' the club manager ordered brusquely as the two men sat back on one of the sofas with their drinks in hand. Nervously, she started to move sexily and quickly reached behind her back to undo her bra, slipping it off as she swayed to the music, her perky little tits jiggling with her movements. Avoiding looking them in the eyes, she concentrated on the rhythm while she tried not to think about what they might expect of her. Turning her back to Markov and his guest, she put her long legs together and bent at the waist to slide her panties to the floor. Then, stepping out of them, she scooped them up and deposited them on the sofa with her bra. Naked, she continued to dance a little longer, her back to them as she bent over a few times to display her pussy before the strip club manager told her to sit with his guest. Sliding onto the old man's lap, she smiled at him and put an arm around his shoulders as he leaned closer and began to play with her breasts, rolling her nipples and making her squirm. Oh, fuck! Watching from up on the walkway, Tom heard her gasp as the stranger pulled harshly on her now swollen teats. The tall man laughed and returned to his conversation with the gangster, while still absent-mindedly fondling Jessica's chest. So, when can you let me have a few more girls? Markov smiled at Jessica. Oh, I think I'll be able to oblige you quite soon, Roland. And Frank still has no idea? Jessica's ears perked up, and trying not to appear to be listening, she nuzzled into Roland's neck as he dropped his hand down between her thighs. The club boss smiled nastily and laughed. <laughs> Are you kidding? If he knew what I was up to, do you think I'd still be here? Reluctantly, Tom had to wander back into the main room and put in an appearance before he was missed. But as he turned to go, he saw the unknown man place his hand onto his wife's leg. Still on his lap, Jess let her thighs part slightly, allowing the man called Roland to blatantly stroke his digits along her pink slit before kissing her on the lips. She shuddered, not pulling her mouth away, as his fingers pushed between her labia, trailing along her wetness before finding her engorged clit. Her soft gasp caused both men to chuckle. You need to let me have this one before Frank gets a hold of her, 
She's just his type. I intend to fuck her first. Then maybe I'll let you have her. Once I get tired of her. Markov leered at Jess as he informed his guest of her plans for her. Pushing her off his lap, Roland stood up. I have to go, but I would call you. Making a quick tour around the main bar, Tom noticed the man called Roland departing, leaving Jess and Markov alone in the VIP suite. It was a risk, but he had to see what was happening, so he cautiously made his way back. His wife was now on Markov's lap, still naked, with her arm around him now as he took his turn to grope her small tits, pulling firmly on her nipples to make her wiggle, grinding her sex into his crotch. Oh fuck, that feels so good, Jess moaned, her stomach tightening at the sensations being created inside of her. Markov laughed and kissed her, making Tom's heart thump faster in his chest. It was one thing watching her being fondled, but a kiss, that was something personal. Jessica opened her mouth, accepting his tongue and closing her eyes as she, rather reluctantly, allowed her lips to play against his. Smirking, the repulsive club manager dropped his hand down onto her thigh, and Jess opened her legs a little, allowing him to stroke up her soft skin to her pussy. She sighed as he eased a finger between her outer lips to caress along her moist pink slit. Mmm, she moaned, and continued kissing Markov as he pushed his digit further into her obviously juicy cunt, forcing it knuckle-deep as her legs parted even wider, allowing him unobstructed access to her body. Oh, fuck, fuck, oh shit, oh. Pulling her mouth away from his, Jessica groaned out loud, shuddering on his hand as he finger-fucked her. Tom's cock was like an iron bar, tenting out the front of his jeans while he watched them the leering, smirking Gregor Markov, adding a second finger and pushing them both as deep as he could into Jess's pussy, stretching her open and working them hard into her fuckhole as he fingered her towards her climax. That's it, baby. Come on my hand. Come for me, the seedy gangster urged her. Oh, 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 ah, yes. Jessica shuddered, her thighs clamping tight against his hand as her body jerked repeatedly her orgasm finally overcoming any resistance she might have had. Keeping his fingers inside her until she'd finished trembling, the strip club manager withdrew them from her gaping hole and lifted them to his mouth to lick her sticky cream. Very nice. Now, get dressed. You're back on stage in ten minutes. He forcibly shoved her up onto her shaking legs, and as she stood there trembling, she looked over his shoulder, straight at her husband. He had known that they would both be able to see him from where they sat, but he couldn't move. He was simply transfixed, standing, staring, watching his wife being brought off by another man, her body responding to his touch in the most sensuous way possible. He could barely breathe, and his cock was aching for release. I love you, she mouthed silently to her husband. Markov also saw Tom as he stood up and left her to get dressed, giving him a triumphant smirk and obscenely licking his fingers again while he walked away. His heart thumping hard, Tom retreated to the main bar, the image of Jess coming on the odious club manager's hand forever imprinted on his mind, and he tried to focus on his job. When Jess emerged a minute or so later, she gave him a sorry smile as she dashed behind the curtain to change for her next set on stage. Tom waited for Jess to leave the club at five o'clock, the end of her shift, before departing himself, telling Darrell he would see him the following night. He was just about to leave when Tracy stepped across in front of him. So, Gregor's got his eyes on your little friend. But I'm available, babe. She put a finger on his chest. Oh, you mean Jessica? I, uh, I don't really know her. Tracy smiled and leant closer. Well, maybe you can get to know me instead. Sure, I... I have to go, he stammered, and headed for the exit, hearing her laugh softly behind him. Bye, Tom, she called after him. 
walking back to their car and his wife. The two of them had driven in together. He wondered exactly what they would say to each other. Jessica was sitting in the passenger seat when he eventually got there, and looked at him wide-eyed as he slid into the driver's seat alongside her. Let's go somewhere and get a drink, Tom immediately suggested, trying to sound nonchalant. Okay, Jessica replied quietly. I, I'm sorry baby, but I did find out that the big boss is called Frank. Frank what? She shook her head. That was all they said, although it was clear he wouldn't be happy if he found out what his employee was up to. Tom didn't respond, and putting the car into gear, he pulled out into traffic and drove away, looking for somewhere they could sit and talk. A few minutes later, the pair were sat in a quiet pub, Jessica staring into a glass of white wine, while Tom had a pint, both waiting for the other to speak. There were tears forming in the corner of his wife's eyes, so Tom decided to go first. Don't apologise, honey. We knew this could happen, and besides, that was probably the most erotic thing I've ever seen in my life. You, you, you don't hate me then, she mumbled quietly, not looking up from her drink. You still want to be with me. Her husband laughed. I'll never hate you. It's not possible. Whatever you end up doing, I'll always love you. Jess sat up and finally looked at her husband, almost as if she was seeing him in a new light. He intends to fuck me. He told me so today. Her voice quivered as she spoke, and he could tell she was on the verge of backing out. Taking a breath, he answered carefully. I know, and unless we walk away now, it's going to happen. Is that what you want? For us to walk away? To let them get away with it all? Jess said, seemingly with a sudden influx of newfound determination. Tom shook his head. No, I want us to take them down, and to watch you getting fucked. I'll feel jealous for certain, but it's in my head now, and, and I want to see it happen. Jessica smiled. In a weird way, I think I want it too. The idea of another man inside me, making me come and emptying himself into me, it kind of turns me on. Is that perverted? No, it's not, her husband replied, taking her hand. But we need to decide when and where. Jess thought for a moment, her stomach tightening as she considered what she was about to commit to. There would be no going back after this. If she did it and let Gregor Markov have her, they would be committed to the end. How about Friday, after the lunchtime shift? I can probably fend him off tomorrow, and we aren't there on Thursday, she eventually suggested. Perfect, agreed Tom. But what if he wants more? What if he wants me to become his girlfriend or something? Jessica looked at her husband for some sort of guidance. He said he wanted me more than once. Tom weighed up her question for a second. All right, well, let's cross that bridge when we come to it. With a decision reached, at least for the moment, they finished their drinks and set off for home. It was a busy night on the Wednesday as it turned out, and there wasn't an opportunity for Gregor to make a move on Jess. She did several routines on stage, and made almost £100 in tips, showing off her body in the most intimate close-up detail to those punters who paid. She also performed seven lap dances, her breasts being groped and mauled by all of the customers who paid for a private session with her. Tom was standing close by when Markov did make his one attempt to convince her to stay after the club had shut. Are you going to have a drink with me later? He asked, leering at Jessica as she sat at the bar, dressed only in some scanty lingerie and her heels. I'm quite tired, to be honest. It's been a busy night. Pouting sexily at him, she took a breath and fluttered her long mascarad false eyelashes. Running his hand lightly up her thigh, the club manager continued trying to persuade her to stay. Well, I have a bed upstairs. We can use that. Lightly grasping his wrist, she stopped his fingers from sliding between her legs. I think I should go home. His tone changed to one of annoyance. I hope you aren't thinking about leading me on. I wouldn't like that. 
Jessica knew she had to stay firm and stick to the plan she'd agreed with her husband, but it was important not to snub Markov to the point of angering him. Feigning innocence, she shook her head. No, I wouldn't do that. I'm just tired, and I wouldn't be at my best for you. It might be better tomorrow. He ogled her scantily clad body again, squeezing her thigh hard. Don't try playing me, girl. I'll wait till tomorrow, and that's it. Otherwise you'll be looking for another job. With that, the strip club manager let go of her, and she slipped off her stool to make her way back to the dressing room so she could get into her ordinary clothes. Once she'd changed, she emerged from behind the curtain, and giving her husband a smile, she left the club alone. You're in with that one, man, Daryl clapped him on the shoulder. Only if Markov leaves her alone. Huh, yeah, that's a fly in the ointment for sure. Tom gazed at him. Did, um, did Clarice? You know. Daryl frowned and leaned closer to him. Markov has had all the girls in here. If they don't come across, then they don't work. He didn't answer, giving his boss a sympathetic look as Daryl walked away to start the cashing up. A few minutes later, Tom was able to leave himself and meet up with his wife outside, away from prying eyes, so he could walk her and the £375 she'd made that night back to their car. Even though it was after one in the morning, Tom took his wife straight to bed as soon as they got home, eager to reclaim her from the groping hands at the club and to satisfy the desire that had built up in both of them. It was the early hours when they finally laid back, naked, gasping for breath and totally satisfied. I love you, Jess told her husband as she snuggled in against him, her mind filled with the prospect of what the coming Friday afternoon would bring. She'd agreed that she would let the repulsive Gregor Markov have her so she could hopefully gain more information about the criminal setup the club was fronting. Would she be able to go through with it? What if she enjoyed it and he made her climax? How would Tom react to another man fucking her? A multitude of thoughts rolled around inside her head as she lay next to her lightly snoring husband until she eventually fell asleep herself. Sleeping in late the next morning, they made love again before eventually getting up shortly before midday. Knowing the wait until Friday would be difficult, they tried to take their minds off what was going to happen as much as they possibly could. After showering and dressing, Tom suggested they head out for lunch and go to a country pub they knew. He was tempted to go to the Red Lion and check in with Sarah, but thought it might be prudent to avoid any of his colleagues from work. The drive took about 45 minutes, so it was just after one when they parked the car. Ordering at the bar, they settled themselves into a quiet corner table with their drinks to wait for their meals to arrive. How are you feeling? Tom asked. He knew they both needed to talk about what she was going to do the next day. I think now I know it's finally going to happen. I'm okay, Jessica admitted ruefully, after taking a moment to consider her response. In fact, in some ways, I'm even a little excited about it. Does that make me perverted? She looked at her husband from under her lowered lashes, hoping for some sort of confirmation about his feelings. He grinned back at her. I must be some sort of pervert as well then, because I'm excited about it too. Not jealous? Yeah, of course. I'll always be a little jealous. But as long as you're coming back to me... His sentence tailed off as his mind switched to the next day. Jess took hold of his hand. I'll always love you. I've told you that. I know, he said. The two of them continued to talk about Friday until their food was served, and then they were silent until the meal was over. How are you going to try and get the information you want from him? Tom eventually asked her once their plates had been cleared. Jess shrugged. It was something she'd been wondering about herself. At times the whole investigation seemed to take on a life of its own, and she worried that she was becoming more involved in the dancing than in trying to uncover the gang's secrets. However, now that was changing, and although she was probably going to have to fuck Gregor Markov, she knew that there was an opportunity to find out more. I think he's going to try to talk me into becoming his girlfriend, and then conscript me as one of his prostitutes. 
so I hope that he'll do a lot of the talking. Yeah, I think he's arrogant enough to do that, her husband agreed. Just let him talk, yeah? Finishing their drinks, they took their time driving home, stopping off to do some mundane but necessary grocery shopping. Thursday evening seemed to drag by, neither of them wanting to discuss the subject of Markov or the gang any further. Their decision had been reached, for better or worse. They had dinner, sat through some pointless television, both of them immersed in their thoughts until it was time for bed. Sleep didn't come easily for either of them that night, and they lay together, cuddled up, until ultimately they both drifted off. Both Jess and Tom were up by eight o'clock, wanting to get ready and be at the club early. Even though it seemed like they had hours, the time flew by as they ate breakfast, showered and dressed before Jessica packed her bag for the afternoon shift. The drive to the club was completed pretty much in silence, and it wasn't until they parked that they finally spoke. Are you sure about this? Tom turned to face his wife. Last chance to call it off. Jessica took a deep breath. She had said all along that she could go through with it, but now it was here and she was confronted with the reality. She wondered, could she actually do it? Would her husband still want her after today? What if she enjoyed the sex? I can do it, if you're okay with it, she eventually said quietly. He's an asshole, and I find him repugnant, but... But he could give us the information we want, Tom finished her sentence for her. Exactly, she nodded. Staring out of the car window, she contemplated what was going to happen later. Shall we go then? He kissed her once before slipping out of the driver's seat. Following their usual routine, they left the car a short distance from the strip club and walked there separately, ensuring they didn't arrive together. Early as usual. You're ticking all the boxes, mate, Darrell greeted him as he walked in. I need to talk to the boss later, but I don't see any reason not to keep you here on a permanent basis, if you're okay with that. Thanks, I appreciate it, Tom grinned, turning as Jessica entered through the curtains. She greeted both of them with a shy smile and disappeared through the back of the stage to get herself changed. Come on, man. Things to do before we open. Friday's a busy day. Darrell slapped him on the shoulder, and they went about their pre-opening duties. In the dressing area, Jess sat and stared at the mirror in front of her, automatically applying her makeup. As always, it was plastered on thickly, mascara on her long, false eyelashes, heavy, dark eyeshadow, and vivid lip gloss. Could she actually do this? Could she let another man fuck her? The face in the mirror before her looked like a slut now that she was made up and taking a calming breath, she started to get changed, resigned to what was going to happen. You okay, Jess? She turned around to the black girl who had sat down next to her. Oh, yes, fine, just thinking is all. Is Markov coming on to you? The girl, Clarice she thought her name was, continued astutely. Jessica nodded. Oh, that pig gives men a bad name. Snorting derisively, Clarice rolled her eyes. He must have had everyone in here. You mean he... and you... Jess opened her eyes wide and stared at her. But you and Daryl are married. We are, and very happily, I might add. So, does he know that Markov fucked you? Clarice nodded. Oh yeah, that arsehole made sure he knew. But it was just sex, sweetie, the other girl told her. You've got to just switch off and let it go. If you come, then it's a bonus. Do you understand me? Jessica smiled. Yeah, I think I do. And tell that man of yours to keep his cool, yeah? What? I don't have a boyfriend, Jess protested weakly. Clarice chuckled. No, girl, you don't. You've got a husband, just like me. And don't try to deny it. The way you two look at each other makes me go all warm inside. Jess blushed, and instead of answering, went about getting herself changed, wondering if Clarice knowing their secret might affect the investigation. 
She was already sitting at the bar, wearing just a lacy red bra and thong, and black hold-up stockings with her stiletto heels, and looking incredibly sexy, when Tom got back into the main room. Seeing her there, he felt a sudden tinge of jealousy filling him. Then, as he was staring at his wife, the clock hit midday, and the doors opened. As Daryl had predicted, there was a decent crowd, maybe a couple of dozen guys in for the start of the lunchtime show. There was always a short wait while the audience got a drink and got settled, giving Jess a few minutes to look them over. And now, please welcome to the stage of the Sin City, one of your favourite girls, the one, the only, Sapphire! The DJ's voice boomed through the PA, making her jump. Tom stood at the back, almost invisible in the shadows, and watched as Jessica slid off her stool and stepped up onto the stage in her four-inch stilettos, rocking her slim hips to the sensual beat of the pussycat dolls, pumping over the stereo system. Her long blonde hair flowed over her shoulders as she swayed towards the men sitting at the edge of the platform. Moving with the music, she quickly lost herself in the moment, letting thoughts of Gregor Markov and what was probably going to happen later vanish. Her lacy red bra covered her modest firm breasts, but did little to conceal the nipples that pushed out through the fine material, tantalising the audience as she danced. Jess turned to give the leering males watching a view of her tight round ass with the red thong nestled between her supple cheeks, barely covering her slit. Looking back over her shoulder, she flashed the crowd a naughty smile, her blue eyes sparkling in the bright stage lights. Moving her body to the music with a graceful ease, she strutted across the stage, bumping and grinding, teasing the men with her tall, lean figure as they waited for her to begin stripping. Closing in with those on the stools, she smiled down at them as they lined up to give her their cash, winking at a cute older man in the front when he put a tenor on the stage for her. The first song was coming to a close, so she reached up behind her back and unfastened her bra, her hands holding it cupped over her breasts. Then, dropping to her knees in front of him, she leaned forward so her chest was no more than a foot from his face before pulling her top away. Her modest B-cups weren't what every man there was after, but they were firm and nearly perfectly round. She pinched her long, dark pink nipples, playing with them for several seconds before scooping up the cash and leaning over, pushing her breasts together to show him some cleavage. When the first tune ended, she got to her feet, still cupping her tits as she danced, the ten-pound note in her hand as the next song started. Gentina's Badass Stripper. Strutting and swaying, she slowly moved around the stage again, waiting for more tips. Don't be shy now, love, another man said at the front, wiggling a twenty-pound note at her. Smiling, she dropped onto her hands and knees, taking the money between her teeth. She knew what the twenty was for, and she had to deliver. Hesitating for several beats, the second tune still had a way to go, she found herself unsure of what to do. Quickly deciding, she got to her feet in front of him and slowly pulled down her thong a little, giving the audience just a hint of the cleft of her hairless vulva, before spinning around and presenting her pert bottom to the crowd. A few of them started shouting encouragement as she hooked her thumbs under the elastic waistband and slid her panties down her long legs. Kicking them away to the back of the stage with her bra, she turned around to face her tipper, dropping onto her knees in front of him, her thighs parted as she leant back to let him have a good look at her smooth, pink snatch. Take a look at that fucking cunt, Paul, she heard the big man yell, nudging his mate next to him while she gave him the full treatment. Her pussy was starting to moisten as she pushed it forwards until it was just inches from his face, and, staring directly at him, she licked her lips seductively. He leant forwards. This was almost always the moment when someone was most likely to cross the line and make a grab for the girl on stage, and Tom prepared himself to intervene. However, it passed uneventfully, apart from the usual shouts and catcalls, and in the end he stepped back, relaxing. With a trembling hand, the man sitting next to the tipper held up another twenty. 
Jess shook her head and pointed to her mouth, biting her teeth ostentatiously. Understanding, he nodded and bit down on the crisp note, holding it in his mouth. Slowly, Jessica moved onto her hands and knees, crawling towards him, all but ignoring his loud-mouthed friend. Her blue eyes locked onto those of her latest tipper, and she moved close enough for her spicy perfume to fill his flaring nostrils. Normally she'd bite at the other end of the note to take it, but this time she moved in much closer, her soft red lips brushing his as she took the money into her own mouth. Fucking hell! She could hear him groan over the music as she pulled away after a moment and turned her ass towards him. With her stocking-clad thighs apart, every intimate detail of her wet pink pussy was no more than a foot away from his eyes. Her last song came on, C. Mitch's Stripper Anthem, and she rolled away, working her firm slender body around the floor, her legs always splayed wide to fully display her sex to the leering, yelling audience, collecting a few more small notes before she was finished. Give it up for Sapphire, the announcer called, as the last of her three tunes wound down and she stood up. Totally nude, except for her stilettos and stockings, she bowed to the cheers from the audience and then picked up her discarded clothing before slipping backstage to get dressed. Tom had to wait in the shadows for a moment, his erection so hard he feared it would be obvious if he stepped back into the light. Jessica reappeared at the bar a few minutes later, her bra and thong back on her body, to take up her usual place, waiting for any private dance requests. Almost immediately, Markov approached her, and the two of them spoke for a couple of minutes, Jess shaking her head before he moved away, heading back to his office. "'What did he want?' her husband asked as he casually wandered past her. "'Just making sure I was staying after the afternoon shift.' She rolled her eyes, making him chuckle as he moved off, patrolling the bar. Jessica could see from the way things had started, and the number of men in the audience, that it was going to be a busy afternoon. And as Tom reached the far side of the club and looked back, a punter came up and started talking to her. "'Are you available for a private dance?' he asked her. She smiled sweetly. "'Of course I am. It's fifty pounds for three songs. That okay?' "'Sure thing,' he said, and held his hand out to her. Slipping off her stool, Jess took his arm. Leading him to the VIP room, she had her first lap dance of the afternoon." Giving her a minute or two before he followed, Tom let his patrol take him through the lap dance area. They were the only two in there, Jessica already topless, straddling her customer's lap and rubbing her perky tits in his face as he ran his fingers across her naked back. Teasing him, she spent a few minutes not quite letting him suckle on her hard teats before pushing herself off his lap and starting to dance seductively in front of him. Licking his lips, her client stared fixedly at her crotch as she eased her thong down over her hips and let it puddle around her feet. Stepping out of it altogether, she dropped back onto his lap, his hand moving straight onto her tit, cupping and gently mauling the soft mound. Jess wriggled around, rubbing her pussy against his bulge while letting him freely grope her breasts, pinching and rolling her engorged nipples. Mmm, that feels so good, she moaned softly, tipping her head back and closing her eyes. They stayed like that until the third and final song had finished, and she was able to politely extricate herself from his grasp, slipping back into her lingerie before they returned to the main room. The next couple of hours continued in the same busy vein. Jessica did several routines on stage, and got little time to sit at the bar, as she also had a number of private dances. Fortunately, things calmed down after 3pm, and along with the rest of the girls, Jess got a bit of a breather, sitting at the end of the bar and sipping a Diet Coke. You've really got a thing for her, don't you? Tracy's voice beside him made Tom turn towards her. What? No, um, I mean, she's nice. He stumbled over his words. Really? I wish a man would look at me like that. I'd have him under lock and key if he did. She laughed softly, putting her hand on his arm before going to speak to Jessica. 
He knew they were talking about him, as they both turned and watched him, Jess giving him a broad smile, before they were interrupted by a customer wanting a lap dance. As the afternoon session was drawing to a close, Markov started to hang around by the main room, making sure he was there for Jessica's last strip on stage. Watching her intently as she performed, the evil club boss couldn't take his eyes off her. It was then that Tom suddenly realised the flaw in his plan. He wouldn't be able to watch them. Markov was likely to take her up to his office, and he would be down in the club. Wondering what he could do, he noticed Daryl go across and speak to the gangster, the two of them talking for a minute or two, before the security chief came across to him. Just spoken to the boss, and it all looks good, so we're going to make you permanent. He just needs you to go up and see him at the end of the shift, Daryl informed him. Suddenly, by a sheer stroke of luck, Tom had the opportunity he needed. To be continued. Reveal all except the truth Undercover stripper There we go. Chapter 4 of Undercover Stripper. Another good chapter. I feel like this story is making steady progress, and now we've gone beyond the theoretical, and we're into the phase of Tom and Jessica actually putting their plan into action. So I'm expecting it to get even juicier in the next episode, and for there to be some serious drama. There were, of course, a few new things that happened in this chapter. We were introduced to a new character, another new character, another new accent. I hope you enjoyed Roland's accent. <laughs> I struggled with it a little bit because the only real description that we get of him is that he's tall and foreign. And I also wanted a voice for Roland that differentiated him from Gregor. Although I think it is an accent which is kind of vague. <laughs> in the same way that Gregor's accent is vaguely Eastern European sounding... With Roland, I decided to go for a kind of vague Western European type vibe. A bit of a mishmash of French, Italian, <laughs> that kind of general region. And I can already tell that it's one that's going to be hard to keep consistent. So bear with me with Roland as a character. You never know when you do a character voice how much that character is actually going to feature. <laughs> so we'll have to see how much I end up doing Roland's accent. Another key piece of information we learned in this episode is that Gregor is running his own sort of mini-criminal enterprise from inside the wider criminal organisation. Obviously, Roland is in on it, and people generally in the club, people like Daryl and Tracy and Clarice, are aware of what's going on. But Gregor's prostitution ring is a kind of secret operation within a secret operation. And I suppose inside both of those is Tom and Jessica's secret operation. So it's a bit like Russian nesting dolls. And I wonder if that is a deliberate irony. In terms of Tom and Jess's investigation, things did go a little bit further, and they've definitely agreed some next steps. But I think there is a sense that things are feeling a little bit routine at this point between Tom and Jessica. There were lots of things that happened in this episode that we've already seen in other episodes. And there's definitely a pattern establishing of Tom and Jessica having a little bit of an uneasy discussion about what they intend to do, then going to the club and Jessica stripping and Tom observing that, and then them coming home to have really hot sex. And I don't know if this is a deliberate thing that the author has done on purpose, but I feel like a lot of the language is the same when it comes to describing each of these different phases of Tom and Jessica's routine. The discussions they have tend to use the same kind of arguments, and they're said in sort of the same way. And then the stripping obviously follows a routine. That's, that's kind of the nature of it, so I think that can be forgiven. But then also the sex at home seems to hit the same kind of beats in every chapter. And I wondered why the author had done that. 
is it maybe to try and highlight some of the reasons why Tom and Jessica need something like this in their relationship, why they're so drawn to this risky behaviour, and, a bit like Dan and Lisa in Country Cottage, are feeling that need to spice up their marriage. Or maybe it's for the audience, and there's a sense that the author is feeling that people reading their work sort of need there to be a rhythm of this happens, then that happens, as a way of sort of meeting their expectations of what the story will be, or of what each chapter will include. I think there is a sort of comfort for a reader in knowing more or less what's going to come next. Having said that, though, there were a lot of mundane details included in this story, and it's not just in this chapter, there's been various examples in others too. But they're details that don't seem altogether necessary, but they're included anyway. Like, do we really need to know that Tom took a brief detour to the bathroom on his way to make coffee in the morning? I feel like that's usually the sort of thing that's left out of stories, and especially things on TV or in movies. Unless the characters going to the toilet is significant in some way, I think the audiences can usually fill in the blanks that the characters do piss and shit at some point without explicitly being told about it. It's like in the whole of Star Wars, for example, you never see anyone go to the toilet. But the audience doesn't come away thinking that none of them ever poo. It's just one of those things that we don't necessarily need to see to know that it's happening. And my only thought about why the author would bother to include something about that is because they're trying to create a sense of realism, or maybe they're getting hung up on accuracy. But to be honest, I think it gets in the way and just delays the reader getting to the part that they actually want to read. And while it doesn't ruin the story by any means, I do think it slows down the pace a little bit and it just doesn't need to be there. One thing that occurred to me when reading this chapter was that Tom is obviously still a little bit uneasy about involving Jess in the investigation from a professional standpoint, and I think the big tale is that he hides it from his boss. It's a bit of a shame that we weren't privy to that conversation between Tom and his boss. What did he tell DCI George Freeman about the operation, and isn't it against the rules to lie about what you're doing? I feel like there's a bit of a hole in the plan which is going to need addressing at some point, because if Jessica is able to get any good information about the gang, how is Tom going to report it to George Freeman without having to mention that she'd been involved, and also admitting that everything he's told George Freeman up until that point is not the truth? And I wondered if Tom doesn't tell George Freeman the truth because he knows it's completely against the protocols and ethical standards, and he's worried he might lose his job, or if he's just embarrassed to tell him that his wife is stripping and shagging at the club, and he's not comfortable admitting that he likes being cuckolded. I think probably both are true, but it's interesting that the author didn't really get into much of that, when it's obviously fertile ground for exploration. And I think that's an example of how the characters in this story, although they talk about their emotions with each other, they are a little bit closed off from us as an audience. We don't really know what's going on inside Tom's head. We only know what the narrator tells us about them. And it always kind of feels like it's coming through a filter, and we're not necessarily getting the whole truth. And I think a good example is Tom and Lisa. Like when he admits that he would have gone for her if he wasn't so in love with his wife, it's almost like he's censoring his own desires there and saying what he thinks is respectable for us to hear as an audience rather than what he actually feels, which is that he has a crush on Lisa. Speaking of Tom and Lisa, back in episode one, I put on a little wager with myself about whether they would end up having an affair and at the time, I was pretty confident that there was really nothing going on there. But I gotta say, after the appearance in this chapter, I'm beginning to feel a bit less sure. There was definitely something in the air between them. The fact that a potential connection between them has been mentioned a second time makes me think that the author wouldn't have bothered including it unless it was a setup for something to happen later down the line. And I guess it's telling that even Jess is worried about Lisa having a crush on Tom. 
I guess I'm also beginning to think that there's a bit of a sense of imbalance developing in Tom and Lisa's relationship, and it's around her freedom to have sex with other people while he isn't allowed to. And Tom does try to subtly raise this in Chapter 3, almost like he's testing the waters a bit, but Jess shoots him down immediately. (laughs) And even though Tom does eventually reassure Jess that he's not interested in Tracy, I think that when things really get going, and Jess is actually out there having sex with people, Tom's jealousy is going to ramp up, and I think he's going to start feeling a bit left out. And that makes me wonder if, in this context, Tom might justify to himself that sleeping with Lisa is something he can get away with morally. From what he's told us, we can infer that he obviously fancies her. And as I've mentioned, I think that him telling us that he would be interested if he wasn't so in love with his wife sounds a bit more like self-delusion than straight fact. As for signs that Lisa might be up for an affair with Tom, I still don't get much of a sense of that, although there is more evidence than there was, for sure. She invited him for coffee, but that's not necessarily an indication of anything more than friendship. Taking his arm as they leave for the coffee, though, hmm, slightly suspicious. But the only bit of concrete evidence that I thought was very suspicious was the way she licked her lips, with her face only inches away from Tom's when they're discussing Markov. I think that is a bit too flirtatious for work buddies. And when you combine that with what Jess tells us about Lisa having the hots for Tom, I think there is probably something there. And you could argue that maybe Jess is being a bit paranoid or maybe a bit jealous. But again, I think that in the context of this being a fictional story written by somebody, then it's more than likely that this is the author dropping us a little hint that something's going to happen. Or at least that there's more to the relationship than meets the eye. Also, like Jess tells us, she's a woman and she knows the signs. (laughs) Which is something that always makes me cringe in a story or in real life when people have these ideas of themselves as especially perceptive or possessing some unique insight into other people. Because I think that people who claim to have that kind of extra sense that they can just tell are basically deluding themselves and probably falling victim to something like confirmation bias. One funny little thing that I wanted to focus in on here was when Tom wonders why Lisa isn't in a relationship already, given that she's certainly pretty enough. As though that's the only reason why anyone would end up being single, because they're too ugly to attract anyone. Ugly people are also able to get into relationships, and if they weren't, then there wouldn't be any ugly people. Evolution would have bred out all but the most attractive genes many, many generations ago. And even if we assume that being attractive does give you some advantage in getting into a relationship, because it means you've got more people interested, so you could say it increases your options, it does come with caveats too. Because it also elevates your self-worth to feel that you're attractive and someone in high demand, which might make you less likely to want to commit to one person in the first place. In addition, having a lot of options might make it difficult to stay in a relationship. If you feel you can easily find somebody new if little problems start to arise, then what's to stop you from going out and playing the field when that happens? I also think that being attractive is such a subjective thing, and it relies entirely on how other people perceive you and treat you, that it's hard to even talk about it accurately. You could be the most physically attractive person on the planet, but if you can't hold a conversation or you're too introverted to go out and actually meet people, then you're just as likely to be alone as someone with those same defects who also looks like a foot. Also, some people really, really like feet. Tom might think that Lisa is pretty enough to be in a relationship, but is that just his perception of her? Maybe other people don't see her that way. Maybe she is good-looking, I mean objectively good-looking, but she knows it, and she doesn't consider the pool of single men in her area worth dating. 
I think it's an interesting question, although I have to admit my limitations, because I don't actually have any personal lived experience of being attractive to draw from, so it's mostly guesswork. But what I am sure of is that there's much more to being in a relationship than looking good. And the most obvious reason why Lisa is single might just be that she's happy that way. I think the biggest problem for me, if Lisa and Tom do end up getting together, is that I've made their voices a bit too similar. It's the same issue with Daryl, but at least Tom doesn't seem to be interested in him. There was one little bit in this chapter which I loved stylistically, but then after thinking about it for a second, it completely lost its effect on me because it makes no sense whatsoever. And that's the bit where Tom learns from Rob Greenwood about Danny Brooks, and he acts like it's a revelation that brings everything together in some sort of meaningful way. And the author says, that gave him three sides of a triangle, which sounds intriguing and clever, but it means absolutely nothing. Just think about it, three sides of a triangle. What is that? <laughs> Why is a triangle significant at all? Do all crime syndicates operate in a triangular formation? What happens if he learns another name and there turns out to be four people involved? Four sides of a square? With the rate that new characters are entering this story, it's likely to be 12 sides of a dodecahedron by the time he's anywhere near cracking the case. It's totally arbitrary to mention a shape here. It just sounds cool. The only real deduction is that triangles do indeed have three sides, which is hardly Sherlock, is it? On the other hand, one thing that I thought was very well handled, especially in the scene at the club, is the way the author seamlessly transitions between Tom and Jess's experiences, and they're woven together in a very natural way, which allows us insight into what they're both doing and seeing without jumping around. And I don't think that's an easy thing to do. I think it's quite subtle, and I like that approach way better than the way that Dan and Lisa's experience in Country Cottage were separated into different chapters, and there was a lot of repetition on both sides. I think that the way the author is able to float between the two subjective experiences of Tom and Jess, and have it come together cohesively in the narrative while still picking out the individual things that make each person's point of view unique, is excellent writing. And it's one of those things where if it's done badly, then it sticks out like a big sore thumb. And when it's done right, like in this case, it kind of just blends into the background and feels just very natural as it flows. Looking critically at Tom and Jess's investigation, it doesn't really seem like anyone at the club is convinced that they aren't a couple at this point. I think they've almost given up on it themselves. I mean, they're driving to the club in the same car now, and I feel like they might as well come clean at this point, because in my mind, they're only drawing their attention to their dishonesty by lying about it, and they're risking building up a reputation for being untrustworthy. If Clarice has managed to work it out, and her conversation with Jess has pretty much confirmed it, then it's not going to be long before Daryl knows, and I suppose depending on how close Daryl is to the rest of the gang, whether he's even involved in the criminal side or not, at this point we don't know, but I don't think it's going to be long before Tom and Jess's marriage becomes a bit of an open secret in the club generally. And it might be difficult for them to explain why they lied about that. They are, I think, definitely having some wobbles in their commitment to this plan though, aren't they? They have a lot of these conversations where they question their intentions and then set about reassuring each other in a way that really reminds me of Lesbian Slave Island, where Lisa spent basically more time thinking about her insecurities surrounding sex than actually having it. Fortunately, this story is a bit more balanced, and there are a good number of sex scenes, and we've had one in all but one of the chapters so far. But I think it's having read Lesbian Slave Island that has made me so ultra-sensitive to this kind of back and forth, because I found myself becoming increasingly impatient with Tom and Jess. Like, come on guys, we've already discussed this in previous chapters, do we really need to repeat everything all over again? And the key points to their conversations like this are always the same. The questions are always, is this perverted? What if the sex is enjoyable? Will you hate me afterwards? Will it break up the marriage? 
And then the answers are always, no, it's not perverted. No, I won't hate you afterwards. No, it's not going to break up the marriage. I find it really sexy. And it's fine if you enjoy it. It's just sex. It doesn't mean anything. I love you, and nothing will change that. That's how it always goes. And I have to admit, I'm a bit tired of hearing it, because I just don't believe what they're saying to each other. It feels like it's all set up for a bigger argument later down the line, once the reality of the situation sets in, and they have to actually confront their real emotions, rather than just saying stuff to reassure themselves and each other. I think you can tell that there's more going on in their heads than they've told each other so far, because their conversation at the pub when they sit down for lunch is reliant on such broad-stroke clichés, and then when the food arrives, they sit and eat in silence. And I love that the author included that detail, because I think it's such a real moment, and it says so much about where they are mentally. Going out to eat with your partner and then sitting in silence through the meal is a total red flag that something isn't right, and there's these things which just can't be said. And I'm not saying that there can never be moments of comfortable silence between a couple, but to go out and then not even engage in the small talk that you'd expect, there's quite a sadness in that scene. It's full of these unspoken words. They do spend a lot of time out in public together, at the shopping centre, at the pub, getting coffee in cafes and having lunch out, probably too much time, considering anyone seeing them could blow their cover and expose the lie at the centre of their operation. They're taking some serious risks, although I think it's obvious that they aren't aware of their potential danger. It's like they think they can switch off being undercover whenever they aren't actually in the club. One especially stupid thing, I thought, was Tom going back to the police station. What if the gang are watching the police? And I think if this is a larger organised crime syndicate, I think it's reasonable to assume that they might be watching the police. And even if they see that and don't automatically suspect him of being a police officer, I think just being the sort of person who would go to the police at all, who would cooperate with the police, would be kept on the outside. Tom is a terrible undercover agent though. The traditional, or maybe just common sense approach, would be to try and get on with the people you're infiltrating, get them to like you, gain their trust. What is Tom's relationship with Markov like, though? I think it's pretty obvious that Markov doesn't like him, and that Tom has done nothing to ingratiate himself. The two are actually closer to becoming enemies rather than friends. Meanwhile, I think that Jess has really thrown herself into the role of being a stripper with gusto, and I have to respect her commitment to giving a good show. She's clearly gotten very comfortable up there, and her confidence is growing with every time she dances. The note-in-the-mouth thing and going in for the kiss move seems especially advanced. Another thing that occurred to me in this chapter was that the audience get quite a bad rap, don't they? They're always described as leering, lecherous, or pervy in some way. And that's maybe true, but it's not something that's inappropriate. To be honest, I think you can't really complain about men being pervy or or leering at the women in a strip club. I think even to call it leering, characterising the way they're viewing the women in that way, in such a negative way, seems a little bit unfair. You wouldn't accuse somebody of leering at the screen in a cinema, would you? At the end of the day, the women are relying on the men looking at them to make money, and so to the women who are actually stripping, those looks are a positive thing. It's exactly what they're trying to attract. In a way, to me, it feels a bit like going into a pub and being shocked by all the people drinking alcohol. That's not to say that I don't have sympathy for Jess, and especially for her nipples, which, to be honest, I imagine must be pretty sore after all the fondling they get. And I know that Jess finds it quite erotic and exciting at the moment. She's still pretty new to it, I suppose. But how long is it going to take before she starts to get bored of being a stripper, before it stops turning her on and becomes a kind of monotonous chore? Will she and Tom be able to crack the case before that happens? (laughs) I guess tune in to future episodes to find out. 
I said at the beginning I would go through the comments and it seems like a good time to do that. So let's start with one from One Good Eye, <laughs> who I wonder if they really do have just one good eye. If that's the case, then it clearly doesn't affect their ability to read. As they say, I'm really enjoying your story. Thank you. Boyd Percy, who we've heard from before, says, I wonder how far the wife will go. Ed Ed Wood says, Compelling, must follow. Robert John says, I am really enjoying the whole series so far, and can't wait for the next episode. Wiz1002, who we've definitely heard from before, says, Enjoying the story with this new instalment, developing the plot nicely. It does seem like Tom and Jess are being a bit too obvious about being man and wife, with more than one of the girls realising they're married. That sort of whispering would easily get to the ears of the odious Gregor and cause them issues. Surely a true undercover cop would be more discreet, even with his own wife. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with Wiz1002 on that one, and I think I'd go even further and say that a true undercover cop probably wouldn't be working with their real wife. <laughs> It's a bit of a conflict of interest, as I've discussed before. Perverted Knight is chiming in with a correction of the author's spelling, someone even more pedantic than I am, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I always wonder why people feel the need to do that in the comments. And to pick out very specific examples like that, I mean, there are there's a few spelling mistakes and grammatical errors in these stories, and I tend to ignore them unless they're seriously confusing or particularly amusing and I don't think that is either of those things. Perverted Knight goes on to say, I hope that the evil boss will, of course, have a huge misshapen cock. <laughs> what? I didn't expect that. And that our hero Tom gets to watch it force-fed to his wife's three holes. I also hope that the wife will turn up missing for a few days, only to come home stretched out and shaken, refusing to tell her husband everything that was done to her, only for hubby to receive an anonymous DVD showing her being put through the paces. I look forward to where you take this. <laughs> wow, Perverted Knight seems like he's got everything he needs to write a story of his own. I mean, take those ideas and your superior spelling knowledge and run with them. That's my advice. Quir 12, another one we've heard from. And that's one of the nice things about this story is that there are a few returning commenters who we can have with us sort of along for the ride on this adventure. Anyway, Quir 12 says... Excellent storyline, with wonderful characters that have good drama and emotions involved in their lives. Great storytelling and fun sexual adventures. Just damn good, and looking forward to the next chapters, and hope this goes on for many, many chapters. It is that good. I do think the husband needs to be a little more careful, but then again, that is what makes it intriguing, as he is a husband first, and a police detective second. Wonderful enjoyment for the reader. Thanks for your time to write and publish. Keep it rocking on. Cheers. Keep it rocking on yourself, Quir12. Thanks for the comment. Libertine55. Not sure if we've heard from them before. Possibly. But they've left quite a long comment here. They say, Truly enjoying this story. Well written. Needs to go through one more edit, looking especially for misspellings and subsequent bad grammar. Another person picking up on that. <laughs> I guess maybe they feel like they're doing the author a favour by nitpicking like that. I don't think stuff like that is really worth worrying about. They go on to say, Plot development is good, however, I'd recommend a few twists and turns to show how quickly and easily their plans can be upset, like an apple cart. <laughs> oh yes, the apple carts that you see everywhere these days. It's impossible that every bit of their planning would be absolutely perfect, 
For example, being given the opportunity to be present now as Markov gets to fuck Tom's wife, or, at a minimum, close enough to rescue her if things get out of hand. Markov forcing Jess to go with him to his home, or a hotel, where his gangster friend looking for stable stock is present and ready to take his turn with Jess, changes the plotline from predictable to totally up in the air. Many twists and turns would now naturally and organically arise. Just a suggestion, however, as the story is truly most excellent, one of the better stories I've read in a bit on this site. I think I can see what Libertine 55 is getting at there. Things have pretty much gone to plan for Tom and Jess, and I think there's definitely value in throwing a curveball at your characters and forcing them to find a way out of a tight spot. Although I have to say I don't really agree that the plotline so far has been predictable, and I certainly couldn't say that I'm sure how it will end. And in fact, I've got a feeling that a twist is just around the corner. And as I said a moment ago, these four chapters have been set up for the spanner in the works that's about to be flung like a cat into the pigeons. Everyone in the comments, though, seeming to enjoy the story, a little bit of constructive criticism, which obviously I think is fine, and potentially helpful stuff for UK underscore writer underscore 53. If you're enjoying Undercover Stripper and you want to check out some of the other work by UK underscore writer underscore 53, then you can search for them on literotica.com. And if you head over to their profile, they've got an extensive back catalogue with over 130 different publications. Plenty in there to enjoy. If you do check them out, then I want to encourage you to give them a five-star rating, leave them a positive comment, maybe follow them if you want to keep up with their work. I think it's really important to support the awesome work that authors do on the platform, writing these stories out of the goodness of their heart with no expectation of reward or remuneration, just so that other people can enjoy them. If you're enjoying the podcast, then thanks for listening. Keep a lookout for next week's episode. Please like the podcast, subscribe, give it a rating, write a review if you can do that on your podcast app. And if you want to and you can afford it, I want to encourage you to head over to the Patreon page where for just £5 you can help to keep the ship afloat and contribute to the recent upgrades in the equipment I'm using as well as justify to myself the amount of time I spend putting out this podcast every week. There's a link in the description of this podcast and I would really appreciate your support. I'll be back next week to read Chapter 5 of Undercover Stripper. Until then, thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week. Goodbye. Reveal all except the truth Undercover Stripper Take off your clothes and move your body to distract the eye Nobody knows Yes, yes, Tom, I'm gonna come. The last words came out as a shriek. Oh, okay. <laughs> come. Come. <laughs> Is that shrieky enough? <laughs>